0: Hi, this is Robert Furl and welcome to Truth Quest Saturday Q&A where we take questions and look at them through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to search the Word of God to see what it, what is true so that we can believe it rather than trying to approach the Word of God with what we think is true and f- trying to find support for what we believe. Uh, we really want to be on a truth quest, not on an I'm right quest. So it's good to see you guys. Hopefully my internet won't have any problems this time we uh had problems on wednesday where we popped off what i think happened i got a new computer i think it went to sleep and i think that popped me off uh so we'll see uh what happens this time but it is good to see you guys Uh, i hope that you are having a great day it's raining here in tucson uh, but we want to take uh, again questions and we want to look at them through the lens of Scripture. So we've got a question that was left after the study was done last time. So I want to go ahead and bring that question in here, if I can find it, and uh, go ahead and give it to you here. Uh, so uh, this question says uh, was why did Jesus keep why did Judas keep the money box when the Bible says he was a thief? So we know that we're told that when Judas rebuked Mary when she anointed the feet of Jesus, that he was not concerned about the the money, but he was not concerned about the poor because he said, we could have sold it for this much and given it to the poor. But he was a thief and used to keep the money box, which is just interesting. It's interesting that a guy would be stealing from Jesus, but Jesus would trust him with the money box. The very thing that he struggled with was the very thing that Jesus gave for him to be able to take care of. It's almost as if, had he really gotten serious, he would have been able to take care of the very thing that one of his main problems, and that was that he was a thief. And so, I think the reason that, that God let him keep the money box uh, was because he was a thief. I think that he was revealing his heart, and um, you and I, god the bible says god doesn't do things the way we do them That god's ways are as high above our ways as the heavens are above the earth and so we're thinking if i've got 12 guys and one of them's a thief i'm not going to make him my treasurer i'm not going to make him the guy who's the accountant and i think that that's probably the way we would do it almost all of us would do it but god does it differently and sometimes he entrusts things to you perhaps even for an opportunity that you might be able to go you know what i really need to change which is what judas needed to do was to genuinely seek after god and be faithful and not try to manipulate which was probably what he was trying to do uh when he betrayed jesus we don't know exact his exact motives but we think that is the case so i i think that the reason that god allowed him to keep the money box was because god was giving him an opportunity to genuinely serve and follow Him, you know. There's another passage which is interesting, which says that it's the goodness of God that causes repentance. When I do something wrong and I think I, I'm gonna, I need to, be, I need to be punished for it, and God punishes me, then I feel like, okay, I, I deserve that. But when I do something wrong and God blesses me, it causes me to repent. It causes me to say, God, you are such a good and loving and pure God, and I'm so blessed and honored by that. And I think that this was related. It's really, really interesting to me that Judas was a thief and Jesus, knowing all things, let him keep the money box so uh, nice to see you guys here if you're here for the very first time i'm really glad you're here Uh, we take questions and try to look at them through the lens of scripture if you have a question it can be anything you can ask any question about the bible christian living Uh, we look for hard questions i'm not saying that i've got the answers to all of them but we'll consider it and if i need to come back and go and look at it and come back to answer your question i'll do that but two things write the word question in front of your question so that as I'm looking down through uh, the comments, I'll be able to identify that's a question because there's some conversations going on that aren't questions, and I don't want to have to read through all of that. So put the word question there, and then put your question in. Number two, just to reread your question, make sure it makes sense Sometimes I get them and I got to take some guesses as to exactly what is meant. We don't want to have to do that. So uh, write your questions down, reread them a couple of times and then go ahead and post them and we will take your questions. Also, if you're uh, a regular uh, here at our Q&A, our Truth Quest Q&A, good to see you guys. Remember uh, to subscribe and to ring the bell. Sometimes I get I get when I get messages from people I can see whether or not they're subscribed on YouTube and uh, sometimes the people who are uh, I would think would be subscribed and have rung the bell hadn't I just want to remind you that this is a way this is a metric that YouTube uses I mean you hear this all the time when you're watching YouTube videos it's a metric they use to be able to get out to more people if people are liking it ringing the bell sharing it um, so uh, if you uh, consider liking this and sharing it ringing the bell, uh, subscribing so that uh, we can reach as many people as we can possibly reach with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Also say hi to me on here. It's good to see you guys. We've got people here from Facebook and from YouTube. And uh, we have our first question from Matt. Looks like a follow up question from one that he's asked before. Matt comes to us from Facebook. Matt says, a question, just a follow up on the question from Wednesday. We looked at the Greek word for believe, uh, pistos, right? In John three sixteen, and came to the conclusion that it means to put trust in yes uh, not just a general belief but in the same Greek word for believe is used in James 2 speaking of the demons then we are saying that demons trust and put their trust in God as well alright so some good homework there Matt this is the kind of stuff that we want to do we want to go to the Bible we want to look at different places that words are used to be able to see if we can get catch a meaning for them at all and you're right, pistos could be to believe that something exists. I have a phone here, right? And I could, if I'm speaking Greek, someone asked me, uh, do you believe uh, in 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 phones? I would say, yeah, I've I, I, I got one right here. I use the word pistos for faith in phone. Um, but it also can mean to put your trust in. And so then there's the distinction in the Bible between the two, that we are to believe but it can't be like the demons who believe in tremble we've also got to trust in rely upon Um, so yeah really like i said really good homework on that that's the kind of stuff that we want to do be able to pour into the word of god Uh, we have more access to the bible now than at any other time and the greek um, that is in there now and so certainly not every time context often dictates um, when you have different ways in which a word could be used context dictates the way that that word could be used. Um, We have the same thing in English. Um, The context is going to uh, take one word that that has two different meanings to it. The context is gonna dictate that. And so you've got the context in one talking about the demons believing and trembling, but not being saved. Uh, They believe and tremble. And then you've got uh, us that have to put our trust in him. It's gotta be more than just believing that God exists. And um, the scriptures certainly tell us that. All right, um, John 1 12, as many as receive him, he gives the power to become a child of God. And we know that we believe by faith, that we're saved by the grace of God through faith, as as we trust in the words he says and the things uh, that Jesus has said. All right, good question, Matt. I mean, a good little good good homework, good follow-up. I appreciate that. Uh, Keep it up. If you can find something else on that, then bring it in as well, all right? So uh, good to see you, Daniel. And I wanna uh, welcome all the moderators that are here. I appreciate you guys. And hope you have a blessed day. Uh, We have, I think this is Andrea. uh, And Andrea has a question. In Titus 3, 9 through 11, uh, King James Version, an example of shunning. All right, well, let's go. Let's take a look at that. So we talked some about shunning. Um, We know that the Jehovah Witnesses, if you you leave the Witnesses, they're going to shun you. They're not going to meet with you. They're not going to talk with you. Uh, They're going to put you out of the home, put you out of their family. They're going to shun you. It's a way that they try to keep control of people. So um, that's the question here. So Titus 3, 9 through 11. So I'm going to go ahead and bring you in here. I got that passage up. So um, let's see, is this the right one? Titus 3, right? But shun a foolish and uh, but avoid foolish, <laughs> I use the word shun, <laughs> but avoid foolish disputes, uh, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. Reject a divisive man after a first or second admonition, knowing that such a person is um, wrapped, uh, warped, and sinning and self condemned. So this will do. Um, this is not an example of shunning, uh, like the Jehovah Witnesses would use it. But there is a time in fellowship, when, and we use this in the church, when someone's there just to be divisive. We open the door to anyone, and we want people who have different beliefs. We want people who are who believe things differently than we believe. Uh, we want. We don't want people showing up to try to stir up trouble. Uh, if someone really wants to come in and be a part of us and they believe something different than what we believe, we don't remove them because of that. But when they become divisive, when someone comes in and sits down and opens up their Bible and begins to read, and then when people come up and say, what are you reading? And they say, well, I'm reading this, which is different than what's being taught here. Then they use that to be able to say, to be able to get in and be divisive into the body and they cause someone who may be new to the Lord, Um, and so you warn them. Say, hey, don't do that. You're welcome to be here, but don't do it. Then they do it again, and you warn them a third time. And then finally you reject that divisive person. And um, so remember that Titus is a pastor who is pastoring a church. This is a pastoral epistle. So the application here, I'm not sure that it is, that it is so much for an individual as it would be for a fellowship. However, as I'm looking at this, um, if you just have an individual in your life and they're doing these things, let me go back to it again, let's just take a look at this. All right, you got an individual in your life, all right, and they're, they're, they're involved in foolish disputes. They're always just fighting with you over foolish disputes, genealogies, um, contentions, and striving about the law, which could literally, we've literally removed someone from the church because they try to teach people to have to keep the law. Um, for they are unprofitable and useless. So as you're interacting with them, as an individual, you're not being being profited by it. It would be better for you not to be around them. Reject a divisive man after a first or second admonition. That's just kind of giving them a warning. Hey, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to talk about things that are are, um, questionable. I'm tired of arguing about them. I don't want to do that um i want to walk in love and i want to be encouraging to one another says knowing that such a person is warped and sinning and uh, self-condemned so yeah i would not say it's a type of of shunning like the jehovah witnesses which is if you're not a part of us then we're shunning you and we're getting you out of here we don't we don't do that to our families um we don't do that to friends who suddenly are no longer christians who are who are going to a different church or who join another denomination Uh, we we don't do shunning the way that they do it. And the way that I used it a few weeks ago was someone who has a homosexual son or daughter. How do you reach that person? You don't reach them by shunning them. And they they don't even fit into this category here at all. So it it doesn't fit into it at all. You reach out to them by loving them, caring for them, showing your love for them. Uh, When I say supporting them, I don't mean agreeing with them, right? But you support them. So thank you very much. I love that question. Again, I love the thoughtfulness of it, trying to figure out what are the nuances of when we can interact with, are we still up? Okay, so it just froze, Um, you guys still there? Give Give me a shot if you're still there, right? Let me see if you guys are popping on there. I'm going to trust that you are still there, all right? Looks like it, says live, okay. So I'm going to have to figure that out with my new computer or I'm going to have to go back to my old computer, which would be a drag. Alright, there you are. Alright, so I see you guys on there. Uh, did I freeze out there? Uh, let me know if I did. Let me know if, if I froze for you guys. Um, still here, still here, still here, here, here. Did I ever freeze? I'm just wondering so I know when it freezes if I should just continue or if I need to stop. Because mine froze. With the dorkiest look on my face, like... Alright. Um, so anyway, uh, uh, let's see, Daniel. Uh, time, uh, there was a time a little loading. Okay, yep, I froze up. All right, good. Thank you guys very much. We'll get this thing figured out. Uh, this is live, and I have a new computer. It looks like we're having some difficulty with that. Let's go on with it, and we'll see what happens. So, just to finish up the idea on that shunning issue, um, we walk in love, we want to support people uh, as they deal with, with different issues. Um, we would, we would make a time to move away from people for certain reasons but there are nuances there and I love uh, your thought on that um, and let's see if I can get back here yeah I love your thought on that Andrea I really appreciate it um, keep those thoughtful questions coming all right so we're gonna take another question here I can get all the way back up to the top here and see where we're at uh, so I'm gonna bring in this question here from let's see this is from Catherine Uh, She says, question, when the Bible says we are with him when we die, but also says he will rise up the dead first when he comes back, what does that mean? All right, so I have this all queued up for the Wednesday Q&A, but I'm going to answer it now and then we'll queue something else up for the Wednesday Q&A. Okay, so so, so Paul tells us that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So that's very important. Okay, Paul also talked about a struggle. He says, I don't know whether I should stay and be here with you guys or if I should go and be with the Lord. For me to go and be with the Lord would be better for me, but to stay here with you would be better for you. He wouldn't have had that struggle if he was just going to take a nap and then wake up in the resurrection. And there's this teaching of soul sleep that is out there, which some cults believe and some Christian groups believe as well. Because the Bible uses the term sleep to speak of a Christian when they die. Because we're going to wake up. Literally, we're going we're to have our bodies renewed. And we're literally going to wake up, and uh, we see that Jesus was using the word "sleep" to mean death when he said uh, when he said that Lazarus um, was sleeping, and then said had to tell them literally, no, Lazarus has died, and he was going to go to wake him up. He was going to go to resurrect him. Um, so we know that. So what does it mean that in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter four, when Jesus, uh, when Paul tells the Thessalonians that he's going to bring back with him those who have died in Christ, and then the dead are going to rise first, and we are not going to precede them. So this is this is part of the first resurrection, as these bodies come up and meet the spirits or the souls in the air, and then they're regenerated. So the people who have died before them will also have their bodies changed and will be like Jesus, just like we, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, are going to be changed in a moment and twinkling of an eye, and we're going to forever be with the Lord. So when Jesus returns for us, for the rapture of the church, we're going to meet him in the air. We're going to forever be with the Lord. This isn't the return to the earth in Matthew 24. This is him coming back for us as a church and that we're supposed to be ready, watching and waiting for. And he brings with him those who have died, the souls, the spirits of those people, and maybe in a temporary body. Who knows? I mean, spirits can manifest bodies. Angels are spirits and they can. And, but they're going to receive their glorified body. And so he's going to resurrect them, the very first part, as far as I can see, the first part of the resurrection. We could talk more about the first and second resurrection, but the first part of the first resurrection is this rapture of the church, um, where, they are, where, where they are caught up then, they're changed, and then we are changed in a moment and twinkling of an eye, so that they're already there in their changed bodies or it happens almost instantaneous. The dead in Christ rise first, so it happens really quickly, Uh, all right? So that's what that means and why it says that, that, you know, they're going to rise first. But also look at that passage. It says um, that the dead in Christ are going to rise with them. In fact, let's just go there and read it. We might as well um, uh, go and and look at this passage. It's uh, it's a good passage, and it really helps us uh, to—it really helps us— Uh, to be able to understand a little bit more about what you're talking about. So let me go ahead and bring you in here. Okay, so it says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. That means dead, not napping until the resurrection, which some cults and some churches teach. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. That's their souls and their spirits that are with him. For thus we say, to you uh, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. There's where our word rapture comes from. That word caught up is raptura in the Latin and it means being caught up together to meet the Lord in the clouds. We're going to meet him in the clouds. And the um, and the Lord in the air in Matthew 24 it's on the earth people try to say that that's the rapture Matthew 24 29 through 32 but that's on earth we meet the Lord in the air in the in the clouds um, in the air thus we shall always be with the Lord therefore comfort one another with these words all right so I appreciate your question I'm gonna have to do a little bit of work now uh, I'm gonna have to go back and um, where's my first question here I'm gonna have to go back and uh, redo the Wednesday Q&A thumbnail because we answered that today. But I appreciate appreciate your question and I'm glad uh, that I was able to get that. All right, so we have a a question here from a friend of mine, Marty. Um, Marty says, as Christians, do we have the responsibility uh, to take the vaccine? This is one of those, we talked about nuances. This is one of those nuanced um, areas that we're in. So if someone doesn't take the vaccine today, there are people that are claiming that they're causing more people to get it and they're actually killing people because they themselves don't get the vaccine. Um, Here's the thing that I think, and I don't don't want to get into a controversial area. You know what? But I'm not afraid of a controversial area either. Um, We've been lied to this whole time. They lied to us about about COVID in the beginning, they lied about masks, they lied about numbers, um, they, they, they've, they've, they've lied about where it came from, um, they've lied about the vaccines, and they have, they have controlled people who are contrary, uh, they have controlled the speech of people who are contrary to the normal thoughts of vaccinations. That makes people hesitant. When you take away the freedom of speech, right? We have freedom of speech. But when places won't let people on, uh, then it causes you to have questions about it. And you have to prayerfully consider, you can prayerfully consider whether or not you take the vaccine and then choose not to take it. That's that's your freedom of choice. And um, they're trying everything they can do to get us to take the vaccine. And um, I don't wanna talk a lot about numbers because I just said I don't trust the numbers. I've been doing a little bit of research on the numbers of people who get sick after they're vaccinated, how many of them get severely sick, and it does happen. Um, Whether or not, what's the reason that they're trying so hard to get everyone vaccinated and feel like they have to all be vaccinated? Is it really honest? Is it what it's telling us? So all of that to say, hey, prayerfully consider whether or not um, you should be vaccinated and I appreciate the question Marty and um, that that really is the answer. You get to make that decision. Prayerfully consider it and people are going to call you all kinds of names and it's going to cause some divisions if you don't get vaccinated. Just realize that, alright? Thank you Marty. I appreciate that. So um, let's see. Uh, let's go to another question here. We got another question from uh, well, Marty, that was the same question. Uh, appreciate you, Marty. Sarah Marie has a question. Sarah Marie says, um, "What do you think about Charles Stanley teaching from In Touch?" I listened to him and you, of course, but I just wanted to be sure uh, he follows the Bible, right? Thank you. Uh, listen to me now. Um, I'm Charles Stanley. Listen to me now. Uh, I, I, I like, I like. Let me see if I can do this right. I like Charles Stanley. How about, how how cheesy is that, huh? Um, They give you these toys to play with on here, so I thought I'd play with them a little bit. Um, I think Charles Stanley's great. Uh, Do I agree with everything he says? No. Does he agree with everything I say? No. Who's right? I don't know, right? Um, We have a radio station, Reach Radio, and uh, it's 106.7 if you're in Tucson. It's also 90... um, uh, 90, it's also KLPX on HD4, which covers the city really well. You can also go to Reach Radio uh, Tucson, reachradiotucson.com, or you can download our app. Uh, just go to your app store um, and you can download Reach Radio or the your Play Store if you have an Android. Download, uh, look for Robert Furrow or look for um, uh, Calvert Tucson and the Calvert Tucson app is going to come up. That's got a lot of things on there and you can access the radio through there. But then you can go to Reach Radio, and Charles Stanley's on our radio station, and so um, we would not have it on there if it wasn't for um, if it wasn't for if we didn't believe that he was a good teacher, good solid teacher. I like him a lot. All right. Thanks, Sarah Marie. I really appreciate it. How silly can I get? That is the question. All right, Lynn Allen has a um, a question. Question: When Jesus was on Earth. Did he know right away that he was going to die for us, or not until his ministry began? Uh, Lynn, a thoughtful question. And I remember in my Christian walk, when I I, I struggled and wrestled with Jesus having to learn who he was. Because when he was born, as a baby, right? He was born and, and, and they took him and they wrapped him in swaddling clothes and they laid him in the manger. Jesus didn't look up and say, Mom, Dad, listen, I just want you to know I'm taking care of everything, all right? Everything's going to be all right. There's going to be a lot of weird things happening, but I'm the Son of God. I've come to die for people. I've come to give my life. I'm going to be resurrected. He he didn't, he didn't do that. He was a baby. He had to grow. And Luke tells us that he grew in knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, which means there came a time when he had to get to the point where he had to realize, I think this is talking about me. Jesus quotes the book of Isaiah a lot. And Isaiah talks about the Messiah a lot and the suffering Messiah. You're talking about him knowing he has to die for us. When was he reading Isaiah 53 and going, I think that's me. When did that dawn on him? And maybe even uh, when Satan tempted him, he plays off that. If you are the son, you think you're the son of God? You think Psalms 2 is talking about you? You, you think you're the Son of Man? You think that uh, Daniel 7 is talking about you? You think that you're, if you are the Son of God, turn this rock into bread. If you are the Son of God, then bow down and worship me. If you, are, if, you, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself off. And so he uses those two. Actually, he didn't say bow down and worship me, but jump off of the pinnacle because it says, he will keep you in all of your ways, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And, of course, he didn't. The, Satan quoted scripture, but he didn't quote all of them. So, yeah, Jesus had to learn and grow and begin to understand. And there's a lot of people today who believe they are Jesus, which is which is interesting. Not necessarily that believe that they're God or that they're the Messiah, but a lot of people believe they're Jesus. I, I assume there's people who believe that they're the Messiah, the Messiah complex. People have gone to Jerusalem, left believing that they're in the Messiah. So Jesus had to kind of work through all of that and come to the place where he was like, I really think I'm the son of God. And and at some point, receive enough faith and and to be able to go and do the very things that were said there. All right, Lynn, thank you for the question. Again, very thoughtful. I appreciate that. And um, a a little bit more meditation on that because it is massively, uh, massively interesting. All right, Albert has a question for us here today. Albert, good to see you. hello uh leviticus lists both sheep and goats as acceptable sacrifices for the israelites yet in matthew 25 31 jesus speaks of separating sheep and goats why are the goats used as symbols of non-believers have you ever hung out with goats have you ever hung out with sheep sheep are nice and tame and goats are mean (laughs) they run into you if you're doing yoga they climb on top of you um I, I do think that really the nature of a sheep compared to the nature of a goat is the reason that that was said because goats are more uppity. They're a little bit more mischievous, so I think it fit well, but I don't think it had anything to do with the sacrifices that were given. Yes, you could give a goat and you could give a sheep for a sacrifice, but I think that because the sheep, sheep are a little more docile maybe follow a little more, are not as rebellious towards the shepherd. And goats are, right? They're, they're a little bit more difficult for shepherds to be able to take care of. So Jesus was talking to a culture that he understood and knew. So I think he separated the sheep from the goats. And we don't want to be goats. We want to be sheep. Um, but in, real, in reality, you could have done that. Um, if you wanted to make a different point, he could have said that he was going to divide, divide the pigs and the sheep, right? But he didn't do that. He divided the sheep and the goats, probably because, as I said, of the character of each one of them. Uh, again, thoughtful. Um, Albert, I appreciate that. We have a question from, uh, is it uh, Natalie? Question, It is. Uh, is it okay to allow our children to watch Harry Potter, Disney movies? Question, uh, would you allow your children to watch Harry Potter? All right, Natalie, thank you. I appreciate it. Another question that I've got queued up for a QA and a in the future. Probably going to have to wait until we get a little bit closer. Um, obviously, I think it's a good question because I planned on answering it at the beginning of one of our Q&As. Um, so let's just take your question one at a time, well, one at a time here. Um, is it okay to allow kids to watch Harry Potter or Disney movies? And I think of Disney movies like... Um, ones that have witches in them, right? Or ones that have um, malevolent uh, people that are in it. um, Corilla, right? And um, just the the, the different people that are specifically evil. Uh, And yes, I do believe it's okay. I think that there needs to be some nuance. And I also believe that Christians need to make these decisions on their own. I'm not parenting your children. And so I'm not gonna tell you what to tell your children. All I'm answering is from what I believe. And I believe it's okay for a parent to allow their kids to watch something like Harry Potter or, um, or a Disney movie. Um, it can bring up conversations. You can talk about what's good and what's bad. You can talk about what's pretend and what's not pretend. You can talk about what's real and what's not real. Those are good opportunities that come out of that. The second part of your question, When I allow my children to watch Harry Potter? I, I did. I did allow my children to watch Harry Potter. And um, I've read all the Harry Potter books. So um, I don't do as much novel reading as I used to, um, but I used to do a lot of it. And um, I read all the Harry Potter books. And I don't think that there is, I don't think that there's anything truly it's not any, it's it's a science, it, it's a make-believe kind of witch and warlock world. There isn't a, a witch and warlock world like it out here. And so people say, well, you're allowing people to be able to, to your kids, to be able to get connected to witches and warlocks and glorifies witches and warlocks. And maybe there's something to that. I don't, you know, just kind of cast it off easily. Um, but I do say it's it's different. It's not... Glorifying a real witch or a real warlock because they're made up, and real witches and warlocks don't do uh, what's in Harry Potter. And uh, so, if there was a if there was a television series that really attempted to follow real witches today, uh, then I probably wouldn't let my kids watch that, unless I wanted them to learn about what real rich witches were, because I think that we would all be surprised to find out when people are in the Church of Satan or which is what they really believe, all right? So I hope that is helpful. Um, I I did allow my kids to watch Disney movies. I allowed them to read Harry Potter. Um, There were things that we didn't allow them to do. There were certain video games and stuff that we didn't allow them to do. There would have been a lot of books uh, that we would have not had them read. Um, However, they didn't want to read them. So we didn't put that on there, all right? So Natalie, you get to make that decision. I also think it might be true that for one child it may be okay and for another it might not be. These are decisions that you have to make and you could prayerfully make those decisions. No pastor can tell you they'd be lording over you if they told you what you should do or shouldn't do with your children. All right? So I believe it is okay. Thank you for your question. Uh, Like I said, it is a good one. All right, so Lynn has a, a question here. Good to see you again, Lynn. Uh, she says she comes to us from Facebook with all that's going on in the world today can we assume that we are definitely in the end times and if so if the sh- uh, shot becomes mandatory to buy or shop for food and items to make uh, will that make will that make it a mark of the beast all right uh yes we are living in the last days I'm, I'm just going to answer your questions in order by the way We are living in the last days. Israel has returned to Jerusalem. The nation of Israel had not been a nation for years. The Bible talks about this in Ezekiel 36, 37, and 38. The land being desolate, the people being scattered around the world. Uh, The Bible says that they would be taken out of the land twice, but they would never be removed once they came back in. They've been taken out of the land twice, once by Nebuchadnezzar and once by the Romans. And um, they've come back in now, and they've been established, born again in a day. The Bible says that God's gonna call his people in the last days from the north, the south, the east, and the west. The the nation of Israel tells us we're living in the last days. Does that mean that we're in the very last of the last days? That um, the tribulation period is around the corner? I don't know. Maybe. What I do know is that Jesus told me to be ready. He he gave me all kinds of examples and all kinds of, of, um, of parables that I'm supposed to be ready and watch and wait for him And that we are, Hebrews tells us, to eagerly await the Son of Man as He returns for us. So we are waiting and we are watching right now. And um, we could be living in those last days. Maybe some of the things that we're seeing is the development of those last days. We see inflation ticking up. Um, In the Bible, it says uh, one of the, um, is it one of the horses? It it talks about, say, um, you know, it's inflation. It talks about inflation. Don't hurt the oil and the wine. But um, a bag of of gold to buy um, to buy something. It's not a loaf of bread. That was a song. Uh, but but um, yeah. So I think that that now we had hyperinflation in the 70s. It didn't make it the last days. We might have hyperinflation coming now. Doesn't make it the last days. But it could be. This might be it. This might be the last days that we see those things happen. And um, so then you say, does that make the vaccine? Um, uh, the mark of the beast, because we'd have to have it to buy or sell anything. Um, what I can say is, you're not going to take the mark of the beast by accident. You're going to have to a pledge. You're going to have to pledge allegiance to the antichrist by taking the mark of the beast. And so, using that credit card, the barcodes, um, all those things that were said in the past to be the mark of the beast, which may be part of the technology. Who knows? Um, I don't think that they could be the mark of the beast. I think programmable money might end up being the mark of the beast, like Bitcoin. I'm not necessarily saying it is Bitcoin. Okay, um, it's just uh, it's it's money that can be controlled. They can give it to you. They can pull it away from you. They can they can shut it off. So you, you have to spend it by a certain time. They can program uh, that money. So that might be um, where the mark of the beast comes from comes from as well. But they're they're going. You're going to have to give allegiance to the Antichrist, and that's the sinful part about it. Not as far as I know, receiving the mark, unless the mark has something that's demonic or Antichristish about the mark itself. So, um, could could they come by and say, listen, uh, you got to give allegiance to the to the Antichrist, or you got to give allegiance to this leader, this world leader who's come on the scene, and uh, you got to take the vaccine, or you can't buy or sell. Maybe. I mean, I could see that scenario. I could I could write it out in a novel going down that scenario. Um, personally, I think it's a, a little bit more likely to be something like Bitcoin. As I said, not necessarily Bitcoin, but you know, Bitcoin's been around for 12 years and it has not been hacked in all of those 12 years. And uh, it's scarce and sooner or later, the government's gonna wanna make sure that they're in on um, on this. So um, I know you didn't ask about that, but those are my thoughts, uh, whether you ask for them or not, all right? So you are gonna take the mark of the beast by accident. So I don't think that the vaccine at this point could be the mark of the beast at all. Okay. <laughs> so Catherine says a question. So what happened to your dog, Red? I think we all want to know. Um, so I use the analogy of Red this weekend as an analogy for sin. Because Red was an Irish setter that was not leash trained. And when we would go walk him, he would go in circles, literally go through your legs, you wrap him up in the leash, and every one of us went down. We kind of learned how to walk him at arm's length, and you had to keep him from wrapping you up. But my, my daughter went down, my wife went down, I went down. Um, and I use that because the Bible says, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares you. And sin is like red. You think you have it under control. You take it out for a walk. You think you can control it. Um, red would also run away and then play games. Stop and look back at you. And um, I gave. we gave it to a friend. It ran away from them. I went to the pound. I got a bat, red back. And red ran away again. And I did not even call the pound. So I just didn't check it out. So the Bible says that a righteous man um, cares for the lives of his animals. And so that's why I had gone to the pound after we'd given it to a friend. And then they let him run away. I went into the pound and brought him back again. Then when he ran away again, I was like, I'm done. I'm not even going to call the pound anymore. And I did not call the pound. So good, bad. I feel a little guilt about that. Do I feel a little guilt about that? Yeah, I do feel a little bit of guilt about it. But um, that's what happened to Red Catherine. Thank you for bringing that up. All right. I really do appreciate it. All right. Good. Um, all right. Let's see. So, uh, saved by grace has a question here. I almost didn't see it because it has a question mark in front of it instead of the word question. But that's that's fine. You can do that. Uh, last week you said there would be sin in the millennium. Yeah, because there's going to be people who are just continuing to live. People who survived the tribulation period. Some Jewish people were protected. More coffee. Some Jewish people, people who were protected through it, some Gentiles that got saved who may have survived. They're going to be in the millennium uh, and they're going to have a sin nature. Do you think it would be similar um, to our world today when murderers and out of control? Yuck, Um, ah, wow. Well, Jesus is going to be ruling and reigning, so I don't think it's going to be exactly like today. Because judges give short sentences to people they shouldn't. They let people out before they should. Part of COVID was that a lot of people got let out. And there are people being killed today by them because of that. Um, and, And some of our major cities are out of control. So I don't think it's going to be exactly like it is today. Because we're going to have someone ruling and reigning who is just. And we're going to be ruling and reigning with Christ as well. Right? The Bible says, which is pretty amazing. That we get to rule and reign with Him. Um but it's it's not gonna be it won't be quite like today, but maybe, yeah, maybe there'll be murderers, murders, and those things during the tribulation period. I couldn't think why they would that would not be the case. Uh Andrea has a question here. Andrea says, Um, does John 8:56 through 58, New King James Version, and Genesis 14:18 prove Melchizedek was Jesus? All right, well, that's interesting. I'm trying to think of what John 8 says. Let me go and pull it up here. So um, John 8, 56 through 58. Long chapter. Okay. John 8, 56. Ah, okay. I see where you're going with this. yeah, that's interesting. Okay, well, let's take a look at it. So uh, John eight fifty six says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham I was. And then they took up stones to throw at him, uh, so they want to kill him. So when did Abraham rejoice to see his day and saw it? That's the question, and could that be? Let's get back to your question here. Could that be uh, prove Genesis fourteen eight that Melchizedek is Jesus? So uh, I take it uh, Genesis fourteen eight is where yeah where he's rescuing a lot, Abraham's rescuing a lot, coming back with the loot that the kings had taken from Sodom. The um, he meets the king of Sodom, and in the middle of that, Melchizedek shows up. Melchizedek has, means Prince of Peace and Prince of Righteousness, or King of Righteousness. Prince, uh, King of Peace and King of Righteousness. And he has bread and wine, which of course Jesus has bread and wine in the upper room. Um, He's certainly meant to be a type of Jesus, for sure, 100%. And that Jesus is a high priest, according to Hebrews, by the order of Melchizedek. So we know that there's a connection. Was there a real person who lived who was Melchizedek? Personally, I don't think so. Personally, I think when it says he was without days, no genealogy, no father and mother. I think if they wanted to say, we don't know who his father and mother are, he just comes on the scene and that makes him a type of Jesus. I think that had uh, Hebrews wanted to do that, they could have done that. But instead Hebrews goes on to say, Melchizedek had no father, no mother, no beginning, uh, or end no uh, genealogy. So it goes into all of that. So I have a tendency to take the Bible a little bit more literal. Does that mean I'm 100% sure of it? No, not necessarily. Could I be wrong on that? Maybe. But when I read it, I go, eh, it looks like uh, Melchizedek is Jesus to me. And I said when I taught on this not that long ago, um, <clears throat> I'm in the minority here. When with scholars, with Bible teachers, the majority say that Melchizedek is not Jesus. So when you're in the minority, it causes you to be a little bit, it should cause you to be a little bit humble about it and say, maybe I need to learn a little bit more. But from what I've seen right now and how I look at it, I believe that it is Melchizedek. Could this be where he saw the day of Jesus? Um, Abraham met the Lord in the tent. Abraham negotiated with them over Sodom and Gomorrah Abraham saw the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah um, I'm trying to think of what other times that Abraham would have had direct interaction his son on the on Mount Moriah and the goat caught in the thickets when he gave the sacrifice uh, I think all of those could be candidates for when Abraham rejoiced to see my day and and saw it and was glad um, yeah, maybe it maybe it is Melchizedek. It's it's a good thought. I don't know that we can be a hundred percent sure. I think there's other candidates in his life as well that would make it that. But um, but I like it. Good question, uh, Renee, has a question. Renee says, um, "Is the hundred forty-four thousand uh, mean that only Jews will be saved at the end?" Or is it those including Jews and the rest of the world that are saved? Thank you, Pastor Robert. Well, you're welcome. Um, So the 144,000. They are 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, Again, Israel's in the tribulation period. The Bible says that the tribulation period is a time of Jacob's trouble. And I tend to be more literal in my reading. I don't believe that these represent 144,000 people that are going to be in heaven of different beliefs. They're Jews. And they go out to pre and they preach the gospel. Um, but no, they're not the only ones who are saved during the, the tribulation period. Because when we go to be with the Lord, there's going to be people who will say all kinds of things about us. They're going to say, when, when we are taken from this earth, the rapture of the church, they're going to say, this wasn't a rapture, this is, this is evolution doing what evolution does. Um, this is uh, Sorry, it's kind of distracted. Um, this is evolution doing um, what evolution does and it took all the people who are not going forward away. It just, just took them off the earth. They're going to say aliens came and got us. We may be even set up for that right now. This may be even part of the lie that God gives them over to a lie, a delusion. Maybe evolution and aliens and all of that might be part of it. Um, so uh, when we go and are taken away People that we know are gonna know we're gone. And they're gonna notice all the Christians are gone. Many of them are gonna put two and two together. People who are close to the kingdom of God are actually gonna go into the kingdom of God. And they're gonna suffer greatly because of that, because of the day that they live in. But they, they will be honored for being a martyr. We have those under the throne of God in the book of Revelation that come out of the great tribulation. And I believe that those are Gentiles as well as, as Jewish people. All right, good question, Renee uh i appreciate that hopefully i answered that if not you can give me, me a follow-up question um all right we have a question here from a before a before oh before oh before hopefully that's close sorry if i butchered that uh question i'm brian okay thanks brian i appreciate that uh, why does Jesus call himself the Son of God? You probably said that, I'm Brian, to get me to not try to figure out what that name is, right? Um, uh, why does Jesus call himself the Son of God? Why doesn't he just say that he is God in the flesh? It makes it hard to witness to false religious believers what scripture can I use to help me explain it to them better? That's, um, again, very thoughtful question. I really appreciate that. First of all, Jesus doesn't say he's the son of God. He is asked, "Are you the son of God?" And he says, "It is as you say." I can't think of a passage where Jesus says, "I am the son of God." Even when he's asked by Caiaphas on when he's when he's in the Jewish trial, Caiaphas says, "Are you the son of God?" And he says, "It's as you say." But from now on, you're going to see the son of man coming on the clouds of glory and given dominion and power and righteousness. And he connects himself to Daniel chapter seven, where a human joins the Ancient of Days on a throne and rules over the world forever. That's one of the greatest passages you can use. They can say, well, Jesus didn't claim, Jesus never said, I'm God. He never used the word, I'm God. I think that he gave us evidence that he is God, but he never used that because you can't witness that to yourself. If I say I'm God, all kinds of people say that they're God. And so Jesus didn't do that. He, he said things that caused people to pick up stones to stone him because he was saying that he was God. There were, he said before Abraham was, I was. How, how is that the case? And so they picked up stones to stone him because he was saying that he was God. So he never came out and directly said it. So what you can do is go to those exact same passages and you can show them what the Bible has to say about Jesus being God. For example, Hebrews chapter 1 says, To which of the angels did he say, God, thy God has anointed you. The anointed means Messiah. God himself calls Jesus God. The God thy God has anointed you. <clears throat> That's pretty strong. Uh, Jesus does say in Revelation chapter 1, I am the first, the last, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. The one who was dead was alive, was dead, and I'm alive forevermore, the Almighty. Now, he doesn't say, I'm the Almighty God, but he says he's the Almighty. What else could that be? Who else is the Almighty? In um, Isaiah 9, 6, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. This man who would come into this earth would be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. I, um, Isaiah 7, 14, Behold, I give you a sign. A virgin shall conceive and bear a child and he will be called emmanuel that is god with us um is it micah five uh, the the bethlehem passage i'm trying to think of the the address for that um but you O bethlehem though you are small among the villages of the pathreth out of you will come a ruler who will rule my people his days are from old or from everlasting his he's been existent before there's just that's just the tip of the iceberg I mean, once you start looking at passages that talk about him being God, Colossians 1 verse 15, he is the express image of the living God, and all things were made by him, through him. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, One fourteen, But then in verse 2 and 3, it says that he created all things, and without him nothing was created that was created, and they were created for him, by him, and through him. So, he, nothing's created without him. He, can't, he wasn't created without him. He is God. He is part of the Godhead that created things. And um, so, as I said, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Um, I have a couple of videos on this. I think that if you just look up Robert Furrow and Is Jesus God? Those videos are going to come up. I have some longer ones where I go into a lot of detail and I have some shorter ones that we call Hot Topics and i think you you, (coughs) excuse me if you're really looking for more information i can at least send you in the right direction to be able to get those scriptures together and to understand how jesus claimed to be god why he never said i am god and what he did say that let people know communicate to people that he was god all right brian so i appreciate that joining us from facebook (coughs) sorry got a tickle in my throat here I know what I need. I need coffee for that. All right. So um, Pearl has a question. Uh, good to see you, Pearl. Pearl says, "Do we need to have the gift of speaking in tongues as a Christian?" Thank you. Uh, I appreciate that question. Um, so there are certain Pentecostal churches, um, and even occult that teaches that you have to speak in tongues in order to be saved. I'm not saying every church that teaches that is a cult. I'm just saying there are, there's at least one cult that teaches it. There might be more, but there's at least one. Um, and the answer to that is, no, you do not. The Bible directly says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, near the end of the chapter, do all have the gifts of healings? Do all do miracles? Do all speak in tongues? The, the, the answer to all of those even though it doesn't go on to say it, is no. Not everybody has the gift of miracles, not everybody has the gifts of healing, and not everybody speaks in tongues. No. And tongues is when I speak to God, and people try to make a distinction between praying in tongues and speaking in tongues, when in reality, it's all praying in tongues. There's never a time when you're speaking in tongues. You are magnifying God, you're glorifying Him. Look it up in, in Acts chapter two. It says that the Holy Spirit came upon them and they were magnifying, glorifying God says in Acts chapter 10, when the Gentiles, during what's called the Gentile Pentecost, that they were magnifying and glorifying God. 1 Corinthians 14, the first part of the chapter, says, when I speak in a tongue, my spirit speaks mysteries to God. So I'm speaking mysteries to him, but I'm worshiping him. It's a self edifying gift. Uh, and Paul, so Paul said, I don't wanna use it in the body of Christ unless there's an interpreter. Don't let it be more than two or three at the most. This is all 1 Corinthians 14. Um, And uh, so, yeah, when people say, you have to speak in tongues in order to be saved, I I put them in the same category as uh, baptismal regenerationists. That you gotta be baptized in order to be saved. You gotta speak in tongues in order to be saved. You gotta be be baptized by somebody who's been baptized by somebody who's been baptized by an apostle in order to be saved. Um, A Catholic might say you have gotta take the sacrament in order to be saved by an official priest who gives the sacrament. I believe that there are, are many Catholics Excuse me, I believe there are many Catholics who are saved, but you aren't saved through the sacrament. You're not saved through speaking in tongues. You're not saved through being baptized. There is no work you can do. You are saved by grace through faith, and you put your trust in Christ. And some people have the gift of tongues. I'm going to say most people don't. The Bible says desire the best gift. What's the best gift for you, Pearl? I, I don't know. I don't I don't know enough about you. I don't know. I mean, it would be a gift that God could use in your life to bless the people around you. So, um, reject that teaching and uh, don't close yourself off to the gifts of the Spirit. Just because there's abuses that are out there. All right? Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, So, I'm going to find another question here. Uh, It's good to see all you guys here as I'm kind of making my way down here. Um, Brian has a question. Good to see you, Brian. Uh, Brian says, question. Is it possible that we are perfect in God's eyes? It is is possible that we are perfect in God's eyes. Or are we supposed to strive to be perfect? Or is it simply okay that we are sinners and not perfect? Jesus is clearly perfect and the Bible calls us to follow and live like Jesus. I am having a tough time connecting the dots. Well, thank you, Brian. I, I appreciate your question and I can see what you're talking about. So theologians talk about positionally righteous. When I'm born again, when, when my spirit comes to life and I am transformed, then I am perfect in God's eyes. My my All my sins are taken away and I'm positionally perfect and I have access to the throne of God. But then the Bible says, very clearly in in romans chapter 6 should we continue in sin that grace might abound may it never be so i have a practical sinfulness positional righteousness and if i let that practical sinfulness control me then it's evidence that i have never been transformed and it gives a whole list in galatians of sins that people can be involved in. Some of them are sexual. Um, Slander is mentioned among it. Heresies mentioned among it. And if I'm practicing those things, I'm not gonna inherit the kingdom of God. Because when I make a commitment to Christ, he works within me, and I want to do what he wants me to do. First John, in the first chapter, I think it's around verse four, says if anyone says that they don't have any sin, then they are lying and the truth is not in them. And so we want to make sure that, that that we want to do what God wants us to do. And we can't say, I don't have any sin because I'm lying. I have sin. I have a sin nature. My flesh struggles against my sin and my sin struggles against my, my flesh. And if I go by the flesh, there's going to be corruption in my life and I cannot be practicing sin. I have to be giving God righteousness. There is a teaching I'm trying to remember what the name of it, the, the theology, it starts with an M, where people teach that you don't have to worry about sin, just go ahead and go out and sin, Jesus has died for you, go ahead and do it. They ignore Romans chapter 6, it's a very dangerous teaching, and so that is not true. So let me just break down all of your questions, okay? Um, is it possible that we are perfect in God's eyes? Yes, <clears throat> and I think that we are. I may need to wash my feet, right, with Peter, when he said Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you can have no part in me, right? But I am positionally righteous in his eyes. Are we supposed to strive to be perfect? Um, Maybe that's the wrong word. Right? Because I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. Um, If I were perfect, I wouldn't trip and fall. right? Um, Should I strive to give God righteousness and purity? Yes. Absolutely. Am I unrighteous? Yes, I know that. Am I? Am I? Um, am I going to give God period all the time? No, that's why He says if you're if you sin, confess them to God, and He's faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So I, I, I so I realize that. All right. Um, uh, what is your, the other question Um Here is Jesus. Jesus clearly. Perfect, and the Bible calls us to follow and be like Jesus. And I'm just a tough time connecting the dots. Yeah, we do need to be like Christ. So yeah, this is part of the Christian life. Part of the Christian life <clears throat> is keeping short accounts with God, making sure that things are right between us and Him. Battling over sin. I'm I'm going to sin, but as a Christian, I'm not supposed to practice sin. And if you are practicing sin, like someone who practices medicine, you just got sin in your life. You're like I'm not worried about it. Then you, you got to evaluate whether or not you made a real genuine commitment to Christ. So I really appreciate your question. i uh, just looking at the clock here, 4.01. Uh, um, I had my, my counter's still up there somewhere, I take it. Where, what is my counter at? There it is. I don't know what this counter is, I want to get rid of it. I tried to set it up so it would be an hour. Um, it's obviously been about an hour now. <clears throat> Let me go ahead and take one more question. Uh, I appreciate you guys. Um, let me just see if I can can uh, get a couple more in quickly. Um, if the Antichrist is alive today, do you believe uh, he knows he is the Antichrist? Um, so, I, yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> I would think, I would think, yes. He's going to be a political leader. he's, he's excels in everything right um yeah i don't know maybe maybe not yeah i'm, I'm just gonna have to give that and an, an, an i don't know i don't know that that and that can be um answered i'm trying to think if there's any passage that would suggest that he would know that i guess there would have to become a time when he would learn that he is the antichrist um kind of like jesus said to learn that he was the messiah but other than that then i don't know sorry i can't be more helpful on that. I'd rather not speculate, all right? So Annika, you're going to have the, oh, let me see. I'm going to bring Annika in, uh, in here. Um, let me go ahead and um, get rid. Get, oh, I have you in there twice. All right. Okay. So Annika uh, says, um, this will be our last question for today. I appreciate you guys. Um, what does the Lord of hosts mean? Psalms 2410. And what aspect of God's character does it demonstrate? So the Lord of hosts, without going to Psalms 2410, and maybe we can do that in in, in another study, but uh, the Lord of hosts is the host of heavens. So there is an innumerable host of angels, and God is the God of those hosts. And um, these are angels that he created who follow him and serve him. And I I think that it's talking about the fact that these hosts are out there, that God control uh, is, is Lord over them, and that they worship and they serve him. And we know that they minister to us the end of, I think it's Hebrews 1 14. Night, are they not ministering spirits sent to minister to those of us that have been given life? And um, and so he is the God of those hosts and he's our God as well. All, all the people from all of time that have trusted and believing and receiving the Messiah. And um, so uh, I appreciate that question, Annika. And maybe we can look up that passage a little bit later on. Good to see you guys. The Lord bless you. Um, Couple of things. We have a service coming up in a little under two hours. uh, Six o'clock tonight. You could join us for that. It'll be live on Facebook. Um, I think on almost all the channels you're on. Not the I think the Robert for a personal page does not have it on there. Might be able to share it on there. Um, But tonight we're going to be talking. We're looking at a passage where Jesus sends the 70 out for evangelism. Then all of a sudden, they're talking about the devil. Jesus is talking about seeing Satan fall from heaven. And why in the midst of evangelism does he talk about, does Satan and demons come up? And we're going to talk about what real spiritual warfare is tonight. There are those that teach all kinds of things about spiritual warfare, but we're going to talk about what the Bible has to say about the heart of what real spiritual warfare is and how you and I can be involved in it. So if you'd like to join us, then you can. Um, You can come down to our... East Campus Live. If you're here in Tucson, we'll be teaching the same thing at three services tomorrow morning, both West and East Campus. So good to see you guys. Good to have you here. Sorry we didn't get to all of your questions. I see that there are a lot more here that we're not getting. I'll get these questions a little bit later on, and I'll be able to um, use some of them for questions that we start future Q&As in. Um, I'm glad I didn't cut out. I did freeze, right? But I uh, didn't cut out. So, you know, might just be Hey, it might be our weather right we've been had a couple rainy weeks to on wednesday and today they're both rainy days so maybe um maybe that just had to do with the internet the internet being kind of slow or bad or in trouble so maybe that was it all right god bless you guys the lord keep you safe uh love jesus serve him keep uh on a truth quest Uh, keep searching the scriptures keep keep looking to have answers to your questions Um, i think that that is what really helps us to grow be strong and mature in him so god bless you guys i hope you have a great uh, day i'm going to see you guys next wednesday night for another q or so wednesday afternoon for another I am signing off i'll see you guys later